welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. It's, uh, it's wonderful to see you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm the pastor here. And, um, <clears throat> and I've just got a really funny throat that's just started like 10 minutes ago. You know what it was? It was like, I don't know, worshiping or something? Or <clears throat> Does it sound all right? Or, can you understand me? I sound manly. What do you mean is I sound more manly than normal? Yeah, okay. Nothing like a glass of weak old water, just a... <clears throat> it's this morning's. It's, uh, it's great. I've had an emotional week, actually. Um, bless. I have had an emotional week. Do you know, our, I, I, um, I, I didn't really like school, okay? It, I think people who like school, there's something fundamentally wrong with them, right? I don't think that we were made to be locked up for eight hours a day. And t- I mean, like seriously, when was the last time any of you were get- going through like a day and you went, thank goodness no Shakespeare right now? You know what I mean? <laughs> or I'd never be able to <laughs> survive there without Pythagoras' theorem. I just think m- much of it is overrated. That's all I'm going to say. And so whenever my kids have had to, my kids all go to school, but our middle one went to big school this week. I'll tell you, that's a moment, any parents? Right, so it fell on me to take her. Um, because uh, Penny couldn't be bothered, I don't know. Uh, that was a joke. <laughs> and, uh, she's like, oh, whatever. Heart of stone. And so I, I said, so Penny said, just put her on the bus. She's got to learn. And I'm going, bus? Are you crazy? What is wrong with you, woman? I'm going to run her to school. And so it was dead funny because I actually found myself, you know, she, you know the moment where, because Hope's a wee bit emotional. So she was like in tears. I had a lump in my throat, even now thinking about it. And she said, it was the point where she said, we were a bit early, and then I said, I think it's time to go now, sweetheart. And she looked at me with those big eyes and went, do I have to go now, Daddy? And I went, yes. And she went, at which point, judge me all you want, I don't care. I got her out of the car, and then I welled up like a big Jesse, all right? Like a great big Jesse, just went, do you know what I mean? Because I know you're thinking it, like, what's... And I just, I sat there for a wee moment as she walked off behind me, looking over her wee shoulder, just to check that it was still there. And I don't think I've quite recovered, actually. It's, isn't it more emotional than what you would think? For those of you who are going, shut up and get on with it, you really need to check whether or not you are actually a believer this morning. <laughs> because if you're, if you, if you don't, and, and every day this week, I've just, been, I've just felt emotional. Do you know what I think it is? I think I'm kind of reliving the trauma as well of me having to go to school. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and then I have to remind myself, I'm not at school anymore. It's all right. I don't have to go because honestly, it was a nightmare for me anyway. All right, we're ready. So listen, so that's probably what's wrong with my throat. I don't know, but we're going to receive the word this morning. Are you ready? Uh, here's what I would say is if you do want to take some notes or, or just... It's good to do that. You know, I, I always make a joke about those Bible, you know, the Bible notes that used to be handed out every other day with Jesus. See, some of you aren't laughing because you, you go, I thought was right. No, they're actually called every day with Jesus, all right? But, but, but every, every now and again with Jesus, every couple of days with Jesus, you know, it's like, we just want to feel like it with Jesus, whatever your, your version was. But uh, one of the things that is true, I, I, was, I was meditating this week on a verse myself, and it says in Isaiah 26 that when you keep your mind on the Lord, then you receive perfect peace. You know, those, those, the, him whose mind is set on you, 
has perfect peace. And I think these are days that, uh, I, I don't know about you, there's plenty to rob us of our peace, isn't there? The price of gas, the price of electric, the price of fuel. Uh, you know, are we coming or going? Ukraine, Russia, COVID. I mean, honestly, it's, it can seem like a bit of a murder picture out there. Isn't that right? And then, you know, that's why I don't, I've kind of gone off the grid in terms of news and stuff like that, because you just feel your heart being pulled from pillar to post. And will we survive? What will it be like? And all this kind of stuff. And the Lord stands above it all and says, well, look, make a choice today. Have your mind and your heart set on that stuff. And it's not, that having your, it's not that we kind of live like hermits and become Christian weirdos. That's not what it's about. But it really is about going, where am I going to draw my sense of safety, security, and peace from? Is it going to be on something which, quite frankly, there's agendas around to keep, you know, fear, keep people operating? And fear sells, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, I'm just wondering what the next thing is that they're cooking up. People in rooms going, how can we keep them on the hook here? You know, it's like... Inflation is going to be 8 million percent. It's going to be like Venezuela here next year, apparently, you know, where a loaf of bread is going to be 18 grand. You know, all this kind of stuff. And you just kind of go, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, if I, if I look at that, I, I kind of go, I don't want to go and live somewhere else. Like a wee island in the Pacific or something, the Copeland's maybe. It's a bit closer. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's an island off Donegadi. And the Lord said to me this week, I will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is set on me. Why? Because he stands above it all. Can I encourage you before we get into the word this morning, if you are not walking in perfect peace, I'm gonna be as bold to suggest this, it's because your mind's not set on the Lord. That's not to condemn anyone, but it's to go, let's get real. The fruit of where we set ourselves and what we give ourselves to is seen in us in terms of how we emotionally respond to stuff, how we are feeling about any particular thing. But the Lord's promise to you is there is perfect peace for you, which makes no sense, does it, in the world that we're living in right now? But that's his promise for you. And if you say, amen, Lord, I'm gonna turn my heart and my mind to you. I'm gonna go with what you say first, above everything else, then despite what goes on around us, the Lord says, he promises the whole way through the word, okay, that these things will happen, these things will go on, but you're not, you know, for this world. You might be in this world, but you're not of it. And I will protect you, the Lord says, from those things that go on around you. It can touch people on your left, people on your right, but it won't come near you, the Lord says, Psalm 91. Amen. Not that good word? So I was thinking about that this week, and, and, uh, but I, w- I want to get into a story this week. We've, if uh, you're just catching up with us, particularly people online, uh, we have been, I've been talking about this, this whole idea. Our church is all about the grace of God, the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of Jesus, and uh, how that there's no other way to live. In fact, the whole gospel, there is no gospel of you plus the Lord. The gospel is Jesus and his finished work. That's why it's such amazingly good news. Because what it means today is that no matter what, now listen to me, it's kind of scandalous. But I just want to re-engage you and re-encourage you around why the word of God is, why the gospel is so incredible. Because what it says over you this morning is, see this week even, no matter where you've been, who you were with, what you did, what you thought, all of that kind of stuff, the Lord doesn't hold that against you. Religion will tell you that you're only as good as your best performance. And we know that it tells us in the book of James, if we break one bit of the law, in fact, if you, if you want to go back to it, all right, and if this is the way you want to live, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, right? The first commandment. None of us did that this week. Hello? This is where somebody goes, actually, brother, I did. <laughs> Uh, point of order, 
I, I was that man or that woman. We'd all go out dead on. So do you know what that means? At the very first hurdle, we've all messed it up. And everyone went, eh? Yeah, yeah brilliant. Where you all messed it up, fantastic. All right? Because you know why? Because once you, once you haven't got that bit right, everything else after that, it doesn't matter. You broke that, you broke it all. But the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to all of that performance, all of that sin, and yes to Jesus and his finished work. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, you can receive from God. Why? Because as he is looking at you right now, he's not looking at what you did, where you were, how you thought. He's looking at Jesus, your sacrifice, and saying, is he enough? Is he enough? And he is. In everything that you need this morning, Jesus is enough. And as he is seated, seated right now at the right hand of the Father, in a place of rest and authority, because his work is complete, he says, you sit and you rest also, knowing that my work has been given to you as a gift. That's outrageous grace, isn't it? Because we go, oh, well, hold on a second. Do I need to do this? And what about that? And that can't be right. We need to. I was speaking to someone recently, the week before last, and they were going like, honestly, for goodness sake, now, this person's got saved, and apparently they were a wee bit crazy, a wee bit mental, right? And then this guy said, like, they'd been in the church three weeks. And I said, well, I had to have a word with him. Because he should have known better. And I was going, so he had like 49 years or something, this guy, of living like a complete lunatic. But within three weeks, he should have had his life cleaned up. And he should have known better now that he was saved. And I'm thinking, I am so grateful that the Lord doesn't treat me like that. Because here I am, I'm longer saved than I was not saved, right? And I'm still working it out. You get that? But the Lord says what? My grace and my mercy are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, not mine. And so we throw ourselves onto the finished work of Jesus this morning, don't we? And say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Are you ready to receive? So that's the brilliant news. And that's why God has, has ever put this church together, to, to be a church here in this part of the world, in the middle of it all, that says, God loved you first. He doesn't need your work. He doesn't need your performance. He doesn't need any of that. He wants your heart and life first. And that you, the key to living in life is to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive grace upon grace. And the more you receive his grace in your life, the more fruit you will see coming from your life. You will live more holy. You will live more purposefully. You'll live more full, if you like, as you receive the love of God, as you receive the grace of God, and you let him do his work in you through his Holy Spirit. Amen? Is that good? So, I want to, so that's why uh, over these last few weeks, I've been going, but that's a brilliant message. And, but we don't want to be like the disciples who whenever they first started to be healed and encouraged, they, they kind of wanted to grab Jesus and keep him there. Remember I preached this a few weeks ago. It's like, this is how you know you're an immature believer. So when God touches you, you go, yes, Lord, more, more, more. Like stuff me with chocolate cake. It's all, all about me and my breakthrough and me and my stuff and me, 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 me. And I said, I want to talk on it today because self will never be satisfied. In fact, self-centeredness and selfishness is one of the surefire ways of taking you out of God's grace and back into performance because your focus is all on you. We're going to look at a story this morning from Luke and it, it runs on two tracks like the, the, the word always does. There's a message for you this morning where you can go, yes, Lord, I receive. And there's a message for the people that you know and love in your life. Is that okay? So just don't go, oh, yes, Lord, I receive. Brilliant. Bless me up. He's going to do that for you. If you've got a need this morning in the presence 
of Jesus right now. His words are life and health to you, so you're going to receive that. But also that he wants to put something in your heart for people who are not here today, that they might know the same brilliant news about Jesus and his work. So uh, let's go for it. There's, it's in Luke chapter 7. If you have a Bible, you can open it. If it's on your phone, if you go onto Facebook, Jesus will know. I'm just going to, I don't know if you're just joking. He's watching. <laughs> Making notes. <laughs> just kidding. That's a total joke. If you're visiting, I'm totally joking. Well, only half joking, to be fair. All right, so Luke chapter 7, flicking, okay, because he's boring. And after a certain centurion's servant, it says here, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jews to him. Now, this is an incredible story because what we're going to do is we're going to learn something about ourselves and we're going to learn something about how God wants to deal in our lives and how he wants to bring you to freedom this morning because this is a guy that is a pretty formidable character that Jesus is going to encounter. And when I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking that we need to see ourselves and the people that God has put around us, our family, our friends, with the lens that he sees them with and not how the world judges them, right? Because if we judge people simply on the outside stuff and not on what's going on on the inside, then we miss it. The Lord doesn't really care about outside stuff. Do you get that? He says he looks on the inside first. And so that's where he does his work. Our outside worlds are transformed by grace on the inside. Religion does it the other way around. Religion says, get all your stuff together, all right, and hopefully the inside then will follow. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other, and then you'll become a good person. Actually, what grace says is receive righteousness, believe in righteousness, and then as you keep walking in that, your behavior will follow. So I said it last week, obedience is not the root of the Christian life. It's important, but obedience is the fruit of being loved by God, right? If you keep trying to obey God to get him to love you or so that you can change, you'll end up disappointed because he's not going to love you anymore and you're not going to change. You're going to get yourself into a cycle of defeat where you do well for a certain period of time, then because of whatever, we fall flat on our faces. This is not about your willpower and it's not about your effort. It's about his grace in your life. And then we see our behavior change. So let's go to the centurion. So he sent elders. His, his servant is really sick. He sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now, this guy's a Gentile, right? He's not, he's not a Jew, but the, and we don't know how he's encountered God at this point, but he has. And it wasn't just a cursory thing. There was something that had changed in this man because he ends up building a synagogue. This is someone who has been imposed on the land to rule the land and to keep the people in subjugation, but something has happened in him. So uh, then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion uh, sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man who's placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I have to say to you, I haven't found such great faith, not even in Israel, right? Israel being not just the geographical border, but the people of God. So Israel's described that way, not just where the borders lie, but the people who inhabit it. So God's people, 
Isn't it, isn't it, I'll come to it. And those, who, and those uh, who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant who had been sick. Now, I, I want to, this blows my mind on lots of levels. Number one, it's one of the only times where you see that Jesus is amazed in a really good way. You know what I mean? It's, he didn't run around angry or frustrated. That's not who he was, obviously. But he, he's, he mar, it says the word marvel here at something which is just utterly profound for me, and I'm going to come to it. Because if we look at this centurion, we need to understand a little bit of the context of what was going on here. Jesus just finished in the Sermon on the Mount. He's on his way, traveling, and this is when this story happens. Now, centurions, had to be, centurions were something else. They just weren't normal people in the sense of even in the Romans, right? They, they had to be literate. Now, to us, that doesn't sound like much today, but for most, most people in those days were not literate. Reading and writing was, was not for them. So it means he was dead smart, right? Think about this in today's context. He was smarter than nearly the whole population. You get that? Right? Think about what the world values today. Qualifications, all that stuff. This guy's one of them. He's a, he's a cut above. He would have been really well connected um, because to become a centurion, you had to have a letter of recognition and a letter of con- um, commendation, not condemnation, right? So yeah, <laughs> your letter of condemnation. You're rubbish. There you go. <laughs> All right? So you had to have a letter of commendation and you had to be recommended. So he was at least 30, which in those days, you know, um, was pretty old. And he would already have had proven service in the military, so he would have had experience fighting. He would have had experience being posted to different places. And so he had all of this stuff going on. And so uh, there's a guy called uh, Vegetus, right? And he was a historian. Let me just read what he says about centurions. The centurion in the infantry is chosen for his size, right? His strength and dexterity in throwing his missile weapons and for his skill in the use of his sword and shield, in short, for his expertness in all exercises. He is to be vigilant, temperate, active, and readier to execute the orders he receives than to talk. Strict in exercising and keeping up proper discipline among his soldiers in obliging them to appear clean and well-dressed and to have their arms constantly rubbed and bright. I don't think that means those. I think that means the things that they would have killed people with. Shiny arms all over the place. Right? I had to read that twice. I went, shiny arms fit me. Anyway, how do you do that? Anyway, see what it did there? A wee bit of a joke. So this centurion's formidable. He's, he's used to getting stuff done. He's in command of people, and he's very, very good at it. He's skilled. But he is confronted. Think, think about even in your life right now or in the life of the people around you, look at what Jesus says is where he wants us to be. Because today... The world has a million ways of, of, of already reckoner on people's lives. They are this, they have done this, they have achieved this, they have this, they do this, or whatever, right? There's, there's a million things that we, we build around our lives. But whatever we are, whatever we think we are, we are always confronted in life with situations that it doesn't matter what you have or where you've been or where you've studied, you are not enough to deal with what is in front of you. Does anyone understand what that is like? You might have gone through the whole of life being fantastic, but eventually we all know that there is a lack in us. There is a lack of ability to face. The, I mean, even if we look at the future right now, I don't believe that anyone is fully equipped really to do, if you take your eyes off the Lord, to walk through this thing for the next whatever number of years it is. Do you get that? 
Because, and, and this is what happens with this fella. He demonstrates that something that we can all uh, learn from. His approach to Jesus is really striking, and particularly for someone who has so much going for him. It begs the question for, for me when I read this this week to go, what do I do or what do you do whenever you're confronted with something where you are not enough? And you know that you're not enough. And you know that you don't have it in you. Because this, this guy understood something so simple and yet so incredibly profound. We've said it before. It's a well-known phrase. But the end of self is where we find the beginning of the grace of God. It's when we get to the end of ourselves. In order to see his breakthrough, see, this guy understood that it didn't matter what he had on the outside or what he had done what he had gathered in terms of experience, what other people's opinions were, what he thought of himself paled into insignificance when faced with the challenge of somebody who was sick and dying. Because there was nothing natural about him that would lead to a supernatural breakthrough in his situation. Do you understand that? It's like us all. It should give us encouragement for the people that we know and love as well. Because oftentimes we just do what the world does and we judge them and go, nah, they're doing okay. Why would I share Jesus with them? Because I look on the outside and they're kind of 2.2 kids, a couple of cars, nice house, feeding themselves well, go out for dinner, loving life. You know this? <laughs> paddleboard, that's the new thing, paddleboards, isn't it? <laughs> They've got paddleboards and... <laughs> Don't even start me, right? Seriously. Used to be skinny jeans and New Balance trainers. Now it's paddle boards and those flipping uh, dry robes. Do you, know about, see, do you know what I love about this place? On the Newton Arge Road, you go to Russell's shop in your jammies. You go to Bally Hackamore, you go to the shops in your dry robe. That's just the difference in class, you know what I mean? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Some of those people's feet have never hit water. But you know what? We all wear dry robes, because that's what we do. <laughs> you have a dry... I've got a dry robe. I've never been in the water, but I even have one. Like, why is up? What is wrong? You know what I mean? <laughs> Isn't it funny that, you know, like, like, why would I even share Jesus? But the centurion shows us something. You can have all of this stuff going on. But because... Because, because we were made by God... In the image of God, there's a bit of us that only God will ever fill. And if you want to see more grace in your life, you have to get to the end of self quickly. Because when there's self and I can do, we put ourselves back at the feet, at the foot of Mount Sinai where we, where we look at God and we go, whatever you ask us to do, I can do it. And the Lord says, no, it's my grace alone. There's no other way. There's no other way. And so what I love about this centurion guy is in order to see his breakthrough, he knew it would have to be a work of Jesus and not something he could do in his own ability. So today what I want to say to you is if you're looking for more freedom, more life, if you need healing in your body today, healing in your mind, love and joy and peace, deliverance, it's all contingent on one thing. The only, the only thing that will bring you that is being righteous before God and nothing else. Without one, inch, one ounce of blame. The only way to see grace move in your life, to see the power of God move in your life and in other people's lives, is to understand that your performance, we need to get that out of the way and receive righteousness as our gift.
because then the grace of God flows. And it's the same for everybody else who's searching. Same for everybody else who's looking. Same for everybody else who, on the outside of things, we esteem them the way the world does, and the Lord looks at them totally differently. The thing with the centurion is, he, he, he upfronted it. His, his, his lack, or his awareness of his own lack, was public. And so we all get to see it and look into it. The thing is today, it's not that public for people. But it doesn't mean that it's not there. And some of us need to, I think, wise up a little bit and go, you know, what God has put in us, this gift of the grace of God, the finished work of Jesus to share that, is the answer to unlocking grace in other people's lives because it helps them to come to an end of themselves and to see Jesus for who he is. And from that place they can receive. Does that make sense? And so let me talk about that because like, the thing here that, that, that Jesus marvels at is that there is such a lack of self in this guy. Let, let, let me just explain this to you because even in the world today we've got this the wrong way around. All right? It's, um, I, I think, you know, it, it says in Philippians 3 verse 9, I don't have my own righteousness which is from the law. Righteousness simply means am I, to be righteous, the, the word actually in the word is to be acceptable to God or to be totally acceptable to God. That's how it, how it translates. And the thing is, when I'm acceptable to God, then every promise from the law is mine. That's why I needed Jesus because I couldn't keep the law. I failed in point one. I didn't love the Lord God with all my heart. So it doesn't mean all the other 612 then are completely mute points. I can't keep them because I failed on the first one. If I fail on the first one, I fail on it all. And so I don't have, I can't be totally acceptable to God here by my own action because that's from the law. But that which is through faith, faith just means to be convinced of Christ and the righteousness which is from God by faith. That's Philippians 3.9. And so it's about this, this thing of the, the Holy Spirit in you, ridding, you know, helping you to, to become free from self so that grace may do its work in you. I, I think this is one of the biggest problems, not just in the world, but in the church even today. I don't need to, like, to, you know, I'm not knocking. I just kind of go, you know, how, how do we really live? I think there's, hasn't there been a mad trajectory over the last sort of decade particularly? And I think it's probably fueled by social media, to be honest, because everyone now can send you a picture of their dinner. Can you remember like 10 years ago, those of us who are old, when you were out, did anyone walk over to you and go, <laughs> look at that? Like, what would you have done if somebody had walked up to you and gone, look at that, my dinner? You'd probably go, weirdo, right? Slap them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But we do it now with alarming regularity. I don't do it, but you lot do it with alarming regularity, right? What makes you think that I care about your dinner or your dog or your new clothes? See what I did there? What makes you think that? If you love your dogs, tough. Family day, right? I'll tell you my, what my family days are like. It's like blue murder at times. Kids yapping, gurning, can't get parked right? All this stuff. And then you, you pretend, like, get them together, smile. <laughs> Family day, right? How many likes did we get? It's a lot of nonsense. Can we all just agree? Yes. People are making it up. To quote the great prophet Paul Jordan, who comes to this church, I wish I had my Facebook life. I will never forget that. I wish I had my life that I put on Facebook, because it's awesome. It's, you know, the life behind the Facebook life is a flipping basket case. <laughs> But what makes us think that it's this thing called ego, right? Isn't it? It's crazy, and it's getting worse. 
I think, can I, can I just say what ego is? Ego is, a, by definition, is a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance. And uh, I, I want to say this, that the way the world is going, this is why I believe in the grace of Jesus. It's an antidote to what's going on out there because we get touched by this stuff. Because studies are showing, actually, that empathy, that ability to feel with people, is declining. This is not me, like, this is what the world is saying. Empathy is declining. That there's a trait of what's called narcissism on the rise. Do you get that? Anyone got kind of going, I don't think I'm being hard here or, or dark. It's just kind of, I go, this makes sense to me. People are becoming more selfish and uh, seeing less benefit actually in being empathic or empathetic. It's not right. That's kind of the way the world's going. Uh, multiple, let me just give you this. Multiple studies have shown a strong link Listen to me, folks, all you heavy Facebookers, between social media and an increased risk for depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-harm, and even suicidal thoughts. All the evidence is there. Why? Because we compare, we, we compare our lives, right? But, you know, we know the B-roll of our lives, but we put up this stuff, and then we constantly do what? Compare ourselves with others. They got more likes than me. <laughs> I was talking to people in, in, in the job that we do outside of church, and like... This kid, he's kid, he was in his 20s, a professional guy. You'd think he would be smart, but I was going, seriously? He's going, ah, yeah, I posted that in the morning, but I need to repost it tonight because it didn't get enough traction. I'm going like, you're an accountant in Belfast. What makes you think anyone gives this stuff? <laughs> I didn't actually, I said that in my head. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't actually say it out loud, right? I just went, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Thinking, I am dead old because I'm going, Honestly, man, how many followers do you have? 37. I'm going, oh, jeez, help me out. <laughs> do you know why? Because what it does is it, puts, it feeds ego the thing that robs you of grace. Why? To put you into a place where you're comparing yourself constantly to other people. Let's be smart about this. Why? If I keep my mind in, I'll have perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you. Anyway, I go on. Social media may promote negative experiences, inadequacy about your life or appearance. <laughs> I'm just quoting from a study that I read this week. So when, whenever ego is at work, self is at work, the antithesis of grace. This is just what the world says. This is not a, a Christian study. This is a pure secular psychological study. Listen to this. It makes us act in ways that can be harmful towards others. It causes us to act in ways which we later regret, and it's the root of self-hatred. It makes us overly sensitive and easily offended. It's the basis for fear. It breeds dissatisfaction, impossible to satisfy the bottomless pit of our desire. Underlies all conflict. Self underlies all conflict between individuals, small groups, and nations. It motivates us to do harmful actions in a confused attempt to be happy. Thus, we create negative patterns that bring undesirable situations upon ourselves in the future. It impedes our spiritual progress, prevents development of our highest potential. This is an interesting one. It's, it says here that when we operate in self, people like that tend to have an unreasonable amount of entitlement. Isn't that funny? That's a biggie, coupled with selfish or greedy behavior. So narcissism and people like that tend to have a lower amount of empathy than the average person. It can cause them to act exploitatively and manipulatively towards other people. So that's the spirit of the age. And you kind of go, why am I sitting here today and looking at this story, what difference does it make? You see, for all of that, those, I'm not judging people, right? Remember I said that? It's really important that you hear me that I'm not pointing the finger and going, they're silly, they're searching for truth. 
And the thing is that self, what, what we haven't quite twigged on, people who don't have a relationship with Jesus haven't twigged on, is that self leads to all of that stuff, and it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. But what we see in the centurion is for, where a heart comes to the end of self and goes, it doesn't, I can't do it. I don't have it in me. It doesn't, I don't care about all of that other stuff that is so esteemed by the world. Lord, if you say it, then I will see your grace in my life. And the Lord goes, I marvel at that. Isn't it incredible? I want to encourage you today for you and yourself and where you're at is if you are, if there's something in you still, because it's in all of us, where we walk every day with that sense not of abandonment to the finished work of Jesus and his spirit working in our life, but I need to do, I need to perform, I need to try harder, I need to, the Lord says, stop it and come and rest with me, will you? I, isn't it interesting the word marvel means like he was totally blown away? Isn't it amazing to think that the God of all heaven is blown away when you say, I can't? Isn't it, the world will tell us it's the other way. We're impressed when people say, I can do it. I have it. It's in me. And the God, Jesus himself goes, no, no, no. I love it when you do. I can't do it, Lord. It's so counterintuitive to the way that we are brought up, to the things that surround us. You know, it's, it's just, we're bombarded by these messages. That's why I'm saying, get your mind onto the Lord and onto his grace for your life. Why? Because then you'll see your breakthrough. I, I want to encourage you, whenever you feel that weakness in you this week, when you feel like I've messed it up again or I can't do it, at that point, the Lord is just going, I marvel at that. Why? Because that's the fertile ground for me to pour grace upon grace into you, your situation, so you walk into your breakthrough. Somebody, if you're tired, sick and tired of being sick and tired, sick and tired of trying, the Lord says, stop. Come and say, I don't have it. I've tried, I've done a bit, but I've, there's nothing in me anymore. And at that point, the centurion receives his breakthrough. The world doesn't get it. The world doesn't understand grace. The world doesn't have a clue, but that's why it's such brilliant good news. Because I can tell you this, and we have a business as well, as some of you know, and we deal with business people. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I'm constantly amazed with, right, is that particularly working with very senior people. And they're all brilliant, right? But what you, what you do when you start to build a relationship is you start to see they're just like you and me. The same insecurities, the same imposter syndrome. The world has this word, imposter syndrome. I'm going to get caught out. Somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder in work and go, we've realized you're an umpty. On you go. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and people live with this fear that they're actually going to get shown up. Like they're going to figure out that I actually am making this up as I go along, Right? I don't work with any doctors or anything, just in case you worry. Like, you know. <laughs> but people doing normal jobs and doing them really well, getting paid big money and loads of responsibility, and their biggest fear is they're going to get caught out. Isn't that crazy? Imposter syndrome is a real thing. Church, we don't have to live like that. We can go, I know I don't have it. I know it's not in me. I know I'm not as good as. I know that they pro. It doesn't really matter because Jesus takes... That, you know, my biggest qualification is my lack of qualification. And some of us have got to get a revelation of that. To go from that place, I receive my breakthrough. And see those people around me. Don't kid yourself that they're living their, their best lives because there's something in them that goes, I'm going to get caught out at some point. 
If I could tell you that literally thousands of conversations we have had over the last number of years running our business, and the big central theme is, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm trying, and, and, and listen, people are good. They're clever. They're smart. They have all that stuff going on, but it's not enough to deal with the issue that's in front of them, which is about who they are, why they're here, what is their purpose, and how can they live with a sense of peace and security because nothing else is bringing it to them. Do you get that? And here's you and I, numpties, a lot of us, and Jesus put his hand on us and said, grace upon grace to you. Now, go and let the world know that they can live from the inside out. Isn't that amazing? Such a good word, isn't it? Well, for me, anyway. I love it. I, I, and this, you know, I, look, don't, don't point the finger at people out there. Just don't do it. It gets you nowhere, and it's not our job. Our job is to love the bones off people. Do you get that? Just to bring them to Jesus and let him love on them. Most people know where they're going. You know, when you go behind the grams and the Facebook posts, most people know they have that imposter syndrome running right through them. Because until you find it in Jesus, you don't find it anywhere. Nothing, nothing satisfies. So what I would say is this. Don't judge them. Just love them. Tell them there's a better way. Tell them that what they're really looking for. Because what happens is we see on the outward these behaviors. And we can judge those behaviors and go, oh, it's not very nice. Actually, it's just a desperate search for purpose and for meaning. That's all it is. And so our hearts have got to be, let me introduce you to the one who made you, who holds you, and whose your very future is in his hands. His name is Jesus, and he loves you first. His gift to you first is the gift of no condemnation. And from that place, you'll change. That's the gospel of grace. Amen? How am I doing? Are we okay? He's encouraged. Brilliant. So uh, that's the old age-old issue, isn't it? I just go, look, it's this huge paradox in faith. Let me just tell you, give you this one wee bit to, to, to finish off, and then I'm going to minister over you. It's, I really felt the Lord say to me this week, Andrew, minister again into this area of self. When I read, when I read the centurion story, I just went, here's a guy who's the epitome of what we see in us and in the world today. But, you know, we need grace to, again, lead us away from self. Because the impact is huge, Right? You don't, get you don't get to compartmentalize self. It's not like it's there or not, right? It forms the basis of everything, how you relate, people, friends, work, and God. And the more self there is in you, selfishness, the Bible calls it flesh, it's another word for it, is a surefire way of cutting you off from the flow of God's grace in your life. Let me, let me just give you some, some encouragement from the word, right? It says here that we have to be really careful because one of the things that you might do this morning is you might misinterpret what I'm saying because, you know, the Bible, another word for self is pride. I've tried to stay away from that word this morning because people, when we hear pride, it, if you haven't been taught right, it brings up lots of different stuff. So pride is, is, in one way, it's kind of an arrogance. We understand that. It's thinking of yourself as better, uh, what I do, who I am, etc. And when we have that bit of pride, it leaves absolutely no room for God's unconditional love because it's all about you. Now, what, is, what does God say in relation to that kind of thinking? And do you know what? I've had people in this church who have stood in this very room with me under the message of God's grace for years 
and manage to get themselves to the point where they go, you know what, my life would probably just be the same without God as it is with him. Honestly. In this room going, seriously? Yeah, I might just try it. You know, I'm pretty, pretty smart, pretty resilient. Got some stuff going on around. I remember listening to Pastor Prince about that and uh, he said there was a guy in this church who came to him and said, you know, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. He was talking about tithing. I don't need to give. I'll tell you why. Because I work dead hard. I'm dead smart. I'm super connected. And everything I have in my life is because I'm a flipping grafter. He wouldn't say that because I don't think Singaporeans use that word, but you know what I mean. (laughs) I'm a very hard worker. Whatever they would say over there, right? And so I really... You know, the rest of it, don't really need. And, and Joseph looked at him and said, okay, no problem. Can I pray with you? And the guy said, yeah. He said, pray with me, pastor. He says, well, what I'm going to pray is I'm going to pray that whatever bit of God's hand has been on your life up until this point, that he would remove it from you. Right? Because you don't want anyone getting in the way of how good you are. And he said, the guy went white as a sheet. I went, oh, no, pastor. Or something like that. Yeah. Don't do that, right? <laughs> That's my Singaporean thing. Oh, Master, don't do that. Right? <laughs> and he said, that's quite funny, isn't it? So he said the guy absolutely was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> All right? <laughs> but he said the, the guy had this revelation moment of, please don't do that. All right? Please don't do that. Just made me laugh. So this is all, all about me. Now, what does God, it says in James chapter 4, verse 6? He's really explaining. I need to finish. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 6. It says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me just explain what that means. There's three words there. I don't want to over-Greek the life out of this, but resist is a word, uh, and tataseo. Okay? And what it means is that you, he rejects the entire makeup of it. So resisting doesn't mean he works against you, right? In the sense of you try and he pushes back. The Lord, you know, made sure I didn't get that. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, like in who you are, he rejects the very notion and stands against the entire makeup of self, of your effort. He says then because he resists the, the, the proud. This word here is shifranos. Uh, it just means the belief that oneself is above God doesn't mean I'm better than God, but it means I don't really need him, or I only need him where I have lack, instead of I'm completely dependent on him. But he gives his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor to those who are humble. And the word there is someone who is reliant on God or focused on God. Because one of the things we need to understand is you might be going, well, I'm not an arrogant person. That's not who I am. But you know what? Shyness and timidity are just another expression of pride which is completely like the different end of the stick, if you like, from arrogance, but it's the same thing. You know, often we, in, you know, we have this often misinterpreted as humility, actually. You know, I, I put myself down a little bit. I talk myself down a little bit. Sometimes because we hope that other people will pass a compliment or will lift us up. Whatever it happens to be, or I, I'm no good and I just, can I just say enough of that? That's just as, that's just, you're being just as proud as somebody who thinks they're all it. Why? Because your focus is not on Jesus, your focus is on you. Either way, you rob yourself of God's grace. You'd be mad. 
That's why I love it when Moses says, you know that verse that talks about Moses? He was the most humble man on the face of the earth. You know that verse? Who wrote it? Moses. <laughs> Isn't that bonkers? Can you imagine us doing that in Belfast? Andrew Tugan is the best preacher in the whole of this room today, right, or something. We'd be going, aye, wise up. Who's your man? Who's he think he is? We don't like that over here, do we? But what's really interesting is when you're boasting, it's also in the Bible, your boast is in Christ alone. And you kind of go, if my eyes are on him, I have perfect peace. And who he says I am becomes my standard. Who he says I am becomes the way that I live my life and the lens through I view everything. So it's not I'm all it or I'm nothing. I'm a who he says. And in that place, grace flows. Some of us this morning, I think, just need to go, there's been too much of me in my walk with the Lord. My feelings, my thoughts, my this, my that. Instead of a heart which is just focused on Jesus and who he is. Receiving every day the truth of what he speaks over you. I'm trusting that as he, you receive those truths every day, he's working in you. He's changing. He's growing you. He's blessing you. He's going before you. And all you're doing is resting and receiving, resting and receiving, resting and receiving. With a heart that says, I can't do it unless you do it for me. It's so, such, a, such a relief to take the weight and the pressure off yourself that way. That's what it says in Galatians 1.5. You know, the whole book of Galatians is about the, the, the law and the flesh, uh, the flesh and the spirit and all that stuff. And then it says, Galatians 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was like, oh. Given all this battle that's going on, actually, don't forget, it was for freedom that Jesus set you free. Amen. So, if I can encourage you, I'm going to finish up here. I'm going to minister over you. I'm going to read the word over you like I did last week. Because I think that um, the more we receive Jesus, the more we receive his finished work, the more we receive his grace, the more we'll unlock the presence and the power of God in our lives. Pride, it says in the word, will only ever lead to confusion and instability is the word. Being pulled from pillar to post. But it says in 1 John 4, 17 that we need to esteem ourselves this morning the way that the Lord esteems us. And 1 John 4, 17 says that as Jesus is, so are you. So are you. Lord, I, I thank you that you marvel at that. Lord, you marvel when we are confronted, a heart that is confronted with our own sense of lack, being imposters sometimes, thinking that we're going to get found out, Lord. I thank you, Father, that those moments that in the world's eyes are complete weakness, and can, you know, those are the, the moments where if we turn to you in those moments and we throw ourselves on your finished work, Lord, you marvel at that and you break through. I believe the Lord sent over some of you this week. And, and this is not just what you do on the outside. This is a posture in your heart is to say, enough of me trying to work this out. Lord, I trust you. I put my faith in you to work it out. I might not know how you're going to do it. I might not see how you're working. I might not understand how it can work together for good, but I trust you. My eyes are on you. My belief is in you, Lord. I'm going to draw down all of the benefits of your grace in my life. 
because there will be a supernatural peace that will flood your heart. And as you rest, like we sang it for the first time, the first song this morning, I believe that I will see your goodness, Lord, in the land of the living. It's not my job to work it out, Lord. It's my job to believe that you are working. And Father, every day that you open the doors for me, that you close the doors that are the wrong one, that you lead me from grace to grace and glory to glory as I rest in the safe arms of Jesus. Father, thank you that we have a different spirit, the one that goes, we're not enough in ourselves, but in that moment, we are supplied with the fullness of heaven, the Holy Spirit himself in us. And I pray this week that you're gonna see a supernatural move of God in your life, a supernatural move of God in your families, a supernatural move of God in your finances, in your health, in your mind, where there has been despair and anxiety, insecurity, I pray right now that there would be hope rising in you, there would be faith rising in you, that as you receive grace upon grace, your perspective would change, your sight would change, that you would see that the God of heaven, Jesus Christ himself, is working not just in you, but before you, behind you, and around you, working out his good purpose in everything that you do. Amen. So close your eyes for one moment. I'm just going to read the word over you to go, well, what do you say about me? Remember, I did this last week, but I want to do it again. What do you say about me? The Lord says in First John that you're loved. Just close your eyes and let the, the word wash over you. And he says that you're accepted. The word says, I'm a child of God. The word, the word says, I am Jesus' friend. I am a joint heir with Jesus. I share in his inheritance. I'm united with God. I'm one spirit with him. I'm a temple of God. His spirit and his life live in me. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm a saint. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Jesus, nothing lacking. I am free from condemnation the fear of being punished. I have been freed from that. I'm a new creation because I'm in Christ. I am chosen by God. I am holy and I am dearly loved. I'm established, anointed and sealed by God. I don't have a spirit of fear. My spirit is love. My spirit is power. And I have been given a sound mind. I'm God's co-worker. I get to work this out with him. Ephesians 2 says, I am seated in heavenly places. You know what that means? Being seated in heavenly places is the, the thing of rest. The Lord's sitting at the right hand of the Father at a place of rest. I'm seated there in a place of rest. The work has been done for me and I receive. I've direct access to God. I've been chosen to bear fruit. I have been given exceeding, 2 Peter says, exceedingly great and precious promises by God. I share in his nature. Hebrews 13 tells me, I can always know the presence of God because he never leaves me. God works in me to help me to do the things he wants me to do. And James 1 says, I can ask him for wisdom at any time when I need to know what to do and he'll tell me exactly what I need. Jesus, I thank you. That's what your word speaks over us. Lord, I thank you that those are the truths, Father, that when we allow them to sink into our hearts and our spirits, Lord, to transform our thinking and our, our minds, Lord, that we see our breakthrough. We see our breakthrough of your grace, Lord. 
And I thank you, Father, for the people even in our lives, in our friends, in our families, those who don't know the Lord. I just speak faith and hope over the church this morning for them. To see these people again through a different lens, not to judge and be harsh and critical because that's not us. But Father, just to see that there is a lack in them, Father, which only you can fill. And you have co- we're co-workers. You've caused us to encounter your grace so that we can lead people to an encounter of that same grace. So this week, Father, I speak of boldness over this church. I speak of faith over this church that they will see their friends, their families, their husbands, wives, daughters, whoever it is, come to that encounter place where they receive God's grace, where there's something in them that goes, I can't do it anymore. I'm tired. I'm gonna get found out. And Lord says, come to me and let me break through for you. And all God's people said, amen. Was that okay? Are you encouraged? Yeah, brilliant. Up on your feet. And uh, the worship guys are gonna come up. And uh, if I could, if we're gonna take communion together. And so let's stand together. And uh, if you have your communion thing there in front of you. We take communion every week because, not because it's a ritual, but because it is, there is a supernatural release of God's Holy Spirit in your life whenever you take communion. If you're sick this morning, um, we believe that whenever Jesus went to that cross, that he went for your healing. And I pray this morning that in this place, you would receive whatever you need. Whether it's physical, emotional healing, the Lord says, I'll make you complete because I am the Lord who heals you. So Father, we thank you for that truth. We take this uh, bread in our hands, this wafer, Father, and we say in faith this morning, we eat, Father, knowing that your work in our lives, Lord, brings about health and wholeness. And we believe that this morning. I pray and speak that over everyone in this place, everyone online this morning, that they would know from the tips of their toes to the top of their head, fullness and wholeness in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we thank you for your blood. Father, thank you that it says in the word that because your blood was poured out, we are righteous, totally acceptable to you. It's not good news. Like, let's not be morose about communion. This is good news. I can go, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. I can stand here right now knowing that I am as loved as I will ever be. That the Lord is delighted in me. That the Lord, the Lord looks at me and his heart skips when he sees me. That because of Jesus, not because of my doing, but because of Jesus' doing, I am free indeed because his blood was poured out. His sacrifice was more than enough. And so we just get to say thank you and we receive. So Father, thank you that our declaration in faith this morning is we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All that you promised, Lord, we have access to through the finished work of Jesus because your blood has made us whole. Amen.